As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I have the distinct pleasure today to be with Maggie Nichols, President and Chief Executive Officer at Eureka Ranch. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Oh, I'm super happy to be here, Mike. How's it going? It is going very well. Such an interesting time that we all find ourselves (laughs) in. And Maggie and I are in a CEO roundtable together, and I've had the opportunity to know of Eureka Ranch for decades, but have really been able to get to know Maggie a little bit more. I can't wait for that to continue. But one of the things, Maggie, that's been so inspiring of us being introduced to one another is how much we talk at the Talent Magnet Institute about the power of culture and trust and inclusion and how that correlates and relates to creativity, innovation, and talent retention. Um, So I'm so excited to share with all of you, our listening audience. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm confident that you're going to walk away with some insights that make you think as well as make you have a great conversation with those around you. So let's go ahead and kick it off. Maggie, so as you speak about disruptive innovation, I think one of the phrases I captured from you is the gotcha of disruptive innovation. Can you unpack that a little bit and start sharing with our audience of how to think about disruptive innovation, what it actually means? Right. Absolutely. Well, there's been lots of interpretation, actually, of disruptive innovation. And I believe it came out of some of Clayton Christensen's work, if you follow innovation. And it's actually been misinterpreted based on his original design. And the most recent interpretation of disruptive innovation is basically anything that wreaks havoc in a place, especially wreaks havoc in a new market, right? Disrupts the current way of doing, the way your customers operate and all those kinds of things. And so I'll I'll speak to that to the greatest degree because I think that's kind of where the world has landed in terms of defining that. So the the great and terrible thing about disruptive innovation is it shakes things up. And depending on who you are and how you operate, that either terrifies you or it lights up your day like there's nothing better, right? And there's haves and haves nots on both sides of those things. And maybe in general, more of a left brain person tends to be less amenable to that. More of a right brain person's like, bring it on, let's go. But either way you slice it, you know, doing this level of disruptive innovation is really to a degree what's necessary to make a difference, especially in today's day and age. You know, so many people across the board are, we're, we're inundated with messaging, with things going on, with flashes and email, and you're driving and you see an ad or this, that, and the other, what's going on in your life. It takes a lot to break through the clutter. Non-typical things have to break through the clutter. And so in order to really truly be disruptive, we found that the nuance of how you should look at it is what am I doing that's meaningfully unique? What am I doing that's got purpose, it's got value to whomever my customer is, this can be an internal customer, it can be an external customer. It can be the person who works on your team. It can be the person that you collaborate with internally. It can be a customer that buys a product. But what is meaningful adds impact to their life. They can see the value from it. It makes sense. 
but also unique in terms of it's never been thought of before, or it's a non-obvious way to attack a problem that they haven't thought of. When you look at those two things together, it helps dimensionalize really what disruption looks like, but purposeful disruption. Disruption not for the sake of creating chaos, but for the sake of saying, here's change for a good reason. And, And it's a good way to get people's head around what that means. Well, so many of us have been disrupted, right? We've experienced, in many cases, unwanted and undesired disruption. But when you utilize the words, when we utilize the words disruptive, we mean for positive impact, for growth, for newness, for longevity, for sustainability. Can you share with us a little bit? I'm sure you've met with organizations and leaders and managers of teams that have said, I don't know how disruptive I want to be. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And it's even if you long for disruption, even if you lament where you are and you go, I know there's a better way. The energy it takes to address the fundamental system within which you work, because that's the real issue with disruption. It's not that we not, not have aspirations to see the grass is greener on the other side. In some ways, you know, ideas and innovation and stuff aren't that hard. Like some of the best ideas are quite simple and we, they could slip off the edge of your tongue. It's just how the heck do you make that happen? So the higher order work, the better work, the work that gets you the exponential impact is fixing the system within which you work, right? So in order to enable and make that, that different thing possible, you have to roll up those sleeves and do the mucky work of fixing the broken system within which you work. Now, there's ways to take parts of it. You don't have to look at the enormity of and go, oh my gosh, Maggie, where do I start? Here's a list of 20 things. I mean, we just need to reboot. And sometimes that's the case. But typically, you know, when we see someone having a disruptive idea in their head, you need the idea to create the energy source for change. Because changing a system for changing a system, sake, you will know in any buy-in, you'll get no support. It's just like window dressing or lipstick on a pig. It's just like, you just, that kind of happen. But if you have something super cool and you can have the organization help pull it because they're like, dang, that's awesome. And sometimes in a for-profit organization for sure, but also a not-for-profit, there is a secret trick to enabling change to happen with a new innovation. And that secret trick that you love and you hate is greed. Sometimes greed can be your friend. Because fear is a really big stoppage to things. But sometimes making the internal argument that this idea, this thing that I want to do can save us money, save us time, make us money, find out how to get new time. Like those metrics can be your ally to help give the reason to say, yeah, but it's stuck in our system. This idea is awesome, but it's stuck because we take way too long to do blank. So we need to, we need to fix that. And really, innovative organizations are are doing that hard work. Maggie, how do you go from a culture that is non-innovative, not progressing, stale, maybe dealing with retention problems, maybe dealing with communication gaps? What are some steps that that you've seen organizations take and that you've coached yourself to create an environment that even allows creativity and innovation? Right, right. We subscribe to this notion that there's three ingredients for a great culture that's both learning and innovation-based, because I think those two are two sides of the same coin. If you're a learning-based organization and you treasure that, you will be an innovative-based organization. And to create that culture that, that nourishes that, 
there's a few things. One is how could they know if they've never been taught, right? So sometimes people are against innovation because, you know, if you think about it, and I'm going to tangent for a second, but I'm going to bring it back. If you think about it from college onward, we're taught to live in silos. We're taught, are you a marketing major? You're a finance major. Are you an econ major? Are you, a, are you an engineer? Right? We live in these silos and then we bring them on over to the professional world and we stand them back up again and we work in our little silos. And what ends up happening is in the bigger system of an organization, unintentionally, some of those silos are built to work against one another. Like I'm the attorney for our organization. My job is to reduce risk. Your job in the sales department is to do edgy stuff that our customers want that get us more sales. But I'm supposed to reduce risk. So I'm going to say no to everything that you want. And sales, you're going to be pissed at me most of the time. And there's this natural friction, right? But it starts with education. You know, you have to be taught the higher order of like, this organization needs to be working towards this common aim. And here's how we, how, how we mechanize that. But so learning is really the base and fundamental part of how do we work to engineer an idea and see where it goes. People just haven't been taught those things. But the second part is a very basic kind of thing. But to me, it's the thing worth protecting. And that is nurturing a curious mindset. So that's different than an innovative mindset and a learning mindset, but it's kind of at the root, I get, like I said, at both of those, is how do we ensure that, that we are cultivating curiosity? Where we want people to just go, you know, I just don't know how that's going to turn out. I'm, I wonder, I wonder. You know, we had that level of wonder when we were little kids, but we just, we get prudent and proper and responsible and we lose a bit of that. We get caught up in other things. And the third thing that I think is the engine is the energy source to get the other two moving is a proactive pipeline of cool ideas for things. And that can be anything. That can be a proactive pipeline of cool new ideas about how we're going to get new employees. It could be cool new ideas on how to reduce waste. It could be cool new ideas on whatever. But again, you need that gust of wind of a reason to change the rest. So the three things are critical, but if you need a, here's where I start, you really need to start with that kind of an effort of like, what are cool ideas we're excited about that give us a reason to kind of walk the talk? Because there's never, I think it's fool's gold to think we're going to get a perfect culture and then we'll change. It's the same effort. It's just a different lever to get started. Because what we find is when you start with cool ideas and then you teach people how to deal with them, what ends up happening is it creates that culture because they're front lines and they're doing it. It's like creates the camaraderie or creates the connection, creates the courage because you've seen something crazy kind of happen. And so that gives you more courage. And then that feeds into a more adventurous spirit. The next time you come up with ideas for stuff, you push for the next round, but you got to start somewhere. But it really is that that level. So if I'm listening, one of the questions I could be asking myself and my team is let's just have a brainstorming session to throw some ideas against the wall and nothing is off limits. What are the possibilities with who we are, what we do, what we know, what our customers need, which we've seen in so many cases, organizations make significant shifts and adjustments to produce something new that they never thought possible prior to the last 20 months. Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. The mother of, of necessity, right. Or the mother of invention is necessity. 
Yeah. I mean, what I would say to leaders is in that part, when you're about to kick off the cool brainstorm and the leader can be at the top of the organization, can be the leader of a team, could be the leader of your family, right? There's lots of spots where you're the leader is you probably have a little bit more guardrails than anything. Everything's open, right? So giving it a little bit of direction of something that you know is connected to a business need. Because what's more frustrating is to start a brainstorming effort and then they bring you ideas and you're like, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't really mean those kinds of ideas. You know what I mean? And not that, again, level of idea, you'll be delighted by what you get when you open up the floodgates to ask for ideas, but channel it, right? Look at your, where your strategy's headed, where you want to accomplish new things in business and say, let's, let's push there because you can go wide, but going deep sometimes gets you more of that meaningfully unique stuff because it allows people to go a little bit deeper on that front. It's an energy source and we all need energy sources right now. Maggie, one of the other components that we talk about of being a talent magnet leader is being a leader that sets an environment and a tone for people to feel confident that they can bring their thoughts and ideas to the table, right? That they won't be judged by how strange or how challenging sometimes the ideas can be, but view that as an opportunity to continue to strengthen the team. I tell leaders often, one of the ways to determine if you truly have a healthy culture is not to just say it, but to see how your team interacts and responds and where are your best ideas coming from? Where is your innovation and creativity coming from? And if it's only at the top of the pyramid, you probably don't have a very trusting and healthy environment, right? We want to see everyone in the team to be able to say, you know what, I'm on the front line and I notice this problem and I notice these five employees do this every day in our plant. Why don't we make this adjustment to free up efficiency or you know, when I'm out sitting with my customer, our customers, when I'm at conferences, when I'm on video calls, I'm hearing this problem statement by those that we sell product to or deliver service from. Have we ever thought about doing this as an extension to this? You know, where are those ideas coming from? And I like to say, show me an organization where the innovation and creativity permeates throughout the company, and I'll show you a great culture. It's almost a direct correlation. Have you done any research to show that with the work that you focus on within innovation? Absolutely. Um, Well, it's yes. And as it would happen, it's hot off the press, totally fresh, literally as of today, the ink is dry on a new white paper that we just released. Talking exactly about that, talking about like how people feel about where they work, And how does that line up to, you know, culture and innovation and all those kind of things? So there's a thousand things kind of going off in my head right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to do some hot highlights, short quips that hopefully would be helpful to the audience. One is, and I'm going to get to the research here in a second. One is ask yourself the question, if someone in my organization says I have an idea, do they know what to do next? Do they know what happens, what they're supposed to do? If they're supposed to tell someone, if they're supposed to work on it themselves, if they're supposed to keep it to themselves, if there's an idea in whatever it is, if you can't answer that question and 
the answer is different from five different employees, then you don't have a system for ideas. And that's important, right? Because you could be inadvertently squashing some really cool innovation that could be happening in the organization just because people don't know how. And we see this tons, 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 tons. And we were walking, I was walking the factory for, this was in a, a defense contractor kind of a place. And they were lamenting at that time, hey, my, I don't, I don't think it's here, Maggie. I just don't think we have creative people on staff. It's just not true. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I just went down to the factory floor and that's just not what I, so we walked down the factory floor and we said, Hey, so what do you do in your spare time? To some, it was one of the line workers. And they're like, I, I restore Harley's. Really? You do any original stuff? Oh yeah, totally. I, I do, I do original. You should come see the garage in my house. We've got like four or five of them there. And we join next guy you talk to. He's got like a crazy woodworking thing. It's like, they have it. They're just not giving it to you because yeah. you are not enabling it, right? Yeah. So the question, you know, the, the other higher order question, and this is, this is rooted in the work of Deming and others, is have I done a good job enabling people closest to the work to be mm. successful? Wow. Because those great. are your powerhouses. To me, that's what you just said. And I just said it in a different way. It's like, and it's not get out of their way. It's not don't help them. It's not say good job all the time. Enabling means that they have the tools, they have the knowledge, they have the skills, they know what to do to get that job done. But they hold the key to most of the knowledge. You know, and you're right. So many times the ivory tower is coming up with the next phase when in fact, your biggest weapon to help your organization is, is on the front lines of whatever that work is. The third thing I'd give is like a, a thing to think about within this realm, especially as leaders, is sometimes when leaders get excited about trying to create a culture and, and do more innovation and see what it looks like on the outside, they're like, okay, let me, let me get in there more. Let me bring more of me into the table because I need to spend energy and time on this, which is right. But what ends up happening inadvertently is they'll either give false praise or they'll get in there so much and start to micromanage on accident because they want some traction to happen, right? Those are some bad behaviors that well-intended um, end up doing harm. So one way that a leader can think about changing language that can help is rather than, so let's say someone's working on a project, a new thing, right? It's not, it's not their day job. It's a special project to try to do something. If you're a leader giving guidance to that team where you have to ultimately make the decision about whether or not you move forward with that project, let's say, the best job of a leader is to help identify what they believe are, we call them death threats, right? And it's deliberately polarizing. It's deliberately extreme in terms of nomenclature because I want to know what issues for this project are going to kill it. Like, start, like, don't even buy, it's illegal. That's a death threat. Or, you know, I don't think we can make money on this, or I don't think it's possible uh, for us to physically pull off, or we don't have the technology to do. There are big rocks of challenges for projects. And rather than solve them for your teams, you should be good about identifying, here's my killer issue, but I'm eager to find out what you guys determine to be the, the way we overcome that, right? What's an experiment that you might run, take seven days and go figure out what it might be. But my job is not to dictate. My job is to identify death threats and then support the team as they go help figure it out. And then here's the bonus points on that one. The bonus points, and this is really hard to pull off in an organization because it creates a ton of trust, but it requires the same thing. And that is if there's a project ongoing that no leader can kill a project, only the person leading the part, like the person doing it, 
can kill it. Wow. So a leader can continue to surface and say, here's my killer issue. And you got to, you know, you got to be stay focused on addressing killer issues. But you give the keys to the person leading because they're closest to the work, because they know better, because you're at a distance. So if you can, you know, acknowledge that here's my killer issues that I want you to solve, but you give them the right to kill their own project, it will do so much. They will bring you 10 times more ideas that are more powerful. You know, you're not playing the game on this idea. It's going to pay out to you in years later when they're continuing to be like, okay, I get it. I'm the CEO of the idea. I'm going to be able to nurture it. That's going to be helpful. But doing that work is what connects the dots back to this research. So this research that we just did found that when people were looking at their place to work, I'll read you the exact piece, the strongest positive correlations were ones of best place to work is their talents being well used, followed by the quality of work, their respect for leadership, and their proactive level of innovation. So opposite to that, if you're not innovating, if you're being reactive, and you're following down the business life cycle curve, and you're not, you're doing me too stuff, then that goes negative, meaning they rate it as a lower place to work. So, I mean, the moral of the story is do exciting things, do fun stuff, be innovative. And then not only will the people that you work with today love it, talent magnet, how can that not be a talent magnet moment for an organization to get better talent? So nurturing these things, it's, it's hard work and it's deliberate work, but it's worth it. Thank you. With that white paper, would we be able to share out with our listeners a link to your site to pull that down? Or how Absolutely. Yeah, I'll give you a link straight to it. And there's actually, so if you're curious on a personal level, now that we're mentioning that, we have an assessment that people can take that will give them a feedback lens on their own innovation skills and stuff too. So I'll dig that up and share that with listeners too. And are there sources of stimuli? Are there things that you recommend organizations leverage as a starting point to start thinking about, you know, do we need, you know, I guess the big question is we've been, yes, organizations have innovated because of necessity, but now the question is, how do you know when it's time to innovate? And then where do you start? Like, where do I gain the ideas? What do I start listening to to stimulate our thought processes to identify if we could be doing better, different, more unique. Any sources that you would reference? Yeah, absolutely. We use this little equation, right? If you want to create meaningfully unique ideas, and this is helpful just, you know, when you're stuck, like look to these things, here's the ingredients. And so to create meaningfully unique ideas, you need stimulus, and I'll talk about different kinds, raised to the power of diversity minimized by fear. That's, if you can imagine that, right? S to the carrot D over F. That's our little equation. And that'll help you both create cool ideas, but that will also help you problem solve when you can't find an answer to a current issue, right? So when it comes to stimulus, sometimes you need a place to start. You know, yes, in some cases, can people just look at a blank piece of paper and go, I got it, I got it, I got it, and rattle off. Sure, you can. But most business situations, you've already done that, right? The low-hanging fruit is gone. So how do you get something to like goose you again to give you some energy and momentum and a place to start? So there's great places to find sources of stimulus. We'd like to look at six different types. Okay. So the most popular types are voice of the customer. 
So anybody who's following the world of design thinking and those things and empathy and all that kind of stuff kind of fits in that box, right? So understand what's your customer going through, really understand the issues they're facing, get one-on-one with them in any way possible. And again, customer, you can take that literally as someone who buys a product or service from you or your customer is someone else in your organization because you're working internally. Okay. The second kind is market, right? So what's the competition doing in situations like this? So either directly or indirectly, right? So if people are going to a certain source to get whatever it is that you want to offer, then what else is somebody else going to offer up something similar? Those are common. Those aren't out of the box to be thinking of. The ones that we find that are more provocative as stimulus, harder to work with, but typically get you more unique ideas are one, looking at technology. So that means looking at the patent database, looking at startups, looking at, you know, things that are going on now in any of that space to really find out what's enabling. There are so many changes on a regular basis about what's available through technology. Whatever you saw last week is already usurped by what's happening this week. So always looking at that, that can lead you to some great stuff. And not being afraid of looking at things in other industries. And even if you're service-based, even if you're a nonprofit, again, even if you're internally you're, inter- you're an internal center. You can look at technology about how you might be able to leverage it to do what you want to do. The next level, which is, again, double gold stars for going to this level, is looking at you know white papers, stuff super upstream, things that are new discoveries by maybe universities that haven't even been commercialized yet. They're just new thoughts. Looking at trade publications and journals. There you will find real nuggets of insights. So let me give you an example because sometimes people are like, I'm not going to do that. That seems hard. I'm just not going to do that. We were working with a a financial institution and they were trying to figure out, okay, how do we appeal to this target market they were trying to really connect with on a more real level? And that was people that just weren't that fluent with money. That was their target base. And they're like, we want to be seen as a coach, as a helper, as a guide. They should come to us for help. So some of that research and white papers discovered, you know what? Um, This is really fascinating white paper on coping mechanisms for those folks that are illiterate, like can't read illiterate. But you could extrapolate that, hmm, might we think like sometimes people might feel that way about money. They might feel financially illiterate. So we could we could stretch and say, okay, what inspiration we could get from that? But within that white paper, they said, here's the seven coping mechanisms people who have illiteracy do to be able to function in today's world. They trust people they know versus experts. They trust pictures and graphs over numbers. You know, so just some some ways that they found to work. So we found we can use those strategies to help us build a program that appeals more to those people. It's just a point, again, a point of stimulus, right? But you can find great things. Um, another point of stimulus is looking at trends, looking at what's going on in the future, seeing what's happening, uh, trying to estimate. And then the, the last one is unrelated, totally unrelated stimulus. So going in completely different categories and seeing what, what people are doing. You know, we found once we were working with, pharmaceutical company that was actually having a problem with a foaming issue, we found the answer in the beer industry because they, you know, have foaming stuff. So those, if you just do a little homework in those areas, we find sometimes that alone will, will shake you up. We'll give you like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was happening. Or, oh my gosh, we could use that right now. And you can jump to ideas. And that's good. That's good. Because when you're on your own, that's a great place to kind of get a jump start. But the, the real power is when you leverage diversity on top of that too. So walk us through the calculation again. So meaningfully unique ideas equals stimulus. So those six different types fit in that bucket. Raised to the power of diversity of thought. 
how much diversity of thought you bring in to react to that stimulus can help you create ideas divided by fear. So back to your point on trust, if it's not a trusting organization, if there's not trust in the team, that's the divider, right? That's the denominator there. So if you don't have the trust, then any work on the positive is going to get sucked back down. If you have a lot of trust, you're going to get even more ideas and better ideas and greater ideas from a team. So it all does connect in a huge way. We were, I'd say 85% of the time, we as an organization get called upon for help from an organization that is reactive and probably has lower levels of trust, probably because they're running into hard times, right? They need to innovate on something critical for the business. They haven't been able to solve it for themselves. And that's typically when you put your hand up and say, I need help, right? So those are a lot of the organizations that on that part of our business that we work with. But 15% of the time, it's a proactive company that's on the rise. And they're like, we just need to get organized here. Like we're running around with our hair on fire. We're growing so fast. We can't even keep track, but we need a little bit more organization about how we're working. And those places have very low fear. People are open to sharing ideas. They're not afraid of failure because they know they're, that's part of the equation. Whereas a lot of times that's a piece that you have to work against. Maggie, have you all done any research relating to the belief, I believe it's a exact thought that diversity and inclusion, having more diverse thoughts and different mindsets and perspectives and life experiences on the team. So the DEI component makes you exponentially better, including in innovation. Absolutely. Yep, we have. It's we've got um, research that's to the 99.99% confidence in a whole even that sounds dorky, but it's true. That is the secret sauce. Again, to you can be okay on your own, but we're not we're not on our own. We already know that to make a real idea happen, you're going to need to collaborate anyway. But it really is that exponential lift when you address diversity and inclusion and make that part of your how we work on ideas and work together. So let me give you an example, right? And what, what the nucleus of that when it comes to innovation is really we're thinking about people's brains and how they operate, right? So it's their thinking styles, which is the summation of all their experiences up to this point, right? So my experiences and your experiences are going to be different for sure. But my experiences versus someone who lives in Africa are going to be a lot different versus somebody else who's lived in an urban environment and I've been in a suburban, a lot different. The more diverse, the better. And the more diversity we include to look at that stimulus, it truly is that exponential kick. So here's how it, it manifests itself in innovation and ideas. So let's, let's pretend I bring a piece of stimulus to somebody. And I say, hey, what's the first thing you think of? That's what I'm supposed to do innovation is just react. So play that game like when you were little, little when someone said black and you said white. You said the first thing came to your mind. So imagine I take this piece of stimulus. Let's say I've got a rose in my hand. I say, what's the first thing you think of? And I ask three accountants who grew up in the same neighborhood. They all have 2.5 kids and a cat and a dog. And they're all, you know, women married to a guy named Sam. And they just have so many similarities, right? So the first person might go, I think you say, Rose, I think uh, beauty. And the second person says, I was going to say the same thing. And the third person goes, you took the words right out of my mouth. And while that's wonderful for everybody getting on the same page, I'm an innovation and I'm in ideas. And you all three just gave me one idea. Not helpful. I need many. 
it's better if I bring that same piece of stimulus. And yes, sure, I go get the account, but then I get the person at the front desk. I get the person who's not even on staff. I get the person, all any way, any way, I can get a more diverse set of people from cultural to you know economic field, everything. They're all going to see that differently. So yes, maybe my accountant still says beauty, but the next person says, I see vitamin C, T. And the next person goes, Mm-mm, I see the tango. I'm going to a party. And the next person says, no, I think say thorns. Now we're getting somewhere because all those new reactions lead me to new ideas, which go to a new place. So when I'm looking for you know people to come together and coalesce on something, we can have what I know is ideas. And I know ideas are better and more unique and more powerful. And we look at more when we have more diversity at the table. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for sharing all of these insights with our listeners. To our audience, I do hope you captured a few thoughts to bring back, to continue, to think through how are you going to implement, how are you going to help this let you be a better leader, let your team be stronger, and bring out the best ideas possible to help your organization strengthen, and even the projects you're working on in the community, in your own families, throughout your life, you can utilize everything we just referenced that Maggie just shared with you to bring out your greatest good. So Maggie, any parting thoughts for our listeners? Oh gosh, is to ha- to keep that spirit of curiosity. It really is, you know, down to that level, and and we all have it. And if you find it in a part of your life, any angle, whether it's a neat new book you're reading personally or you can find it at work, just keep that spirit alive. I think that's the guiding light that will help us all. Well, Maggie, again, thank you for joining us, and I will look forward to our next conversation. To our listeners, please check out the show notes. We'll have some links in there for you from Eureka Ranch and Maggie Nichols. Also, do not hesitate to reach out to us to funnel questions and additional thoughts. Even uh, after you've listened to this episode, what is some good that has come from it? What did you learn about yourself, your team, your organization? And maybe even let us know where you feel like you're starting. So that if there's other insights and things that come up, we can share this with you to continue to help you strengthen what we both believe is a very important component to helping you achieve your greatest success. So Maggie, thank you again for being with us. You're very welcome. Always cool to hang out with you, Mike. You always brighten my day. And we look forward to the next conversation. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. 
and myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.